0: Hi, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to Schweitzer. Welcome to Worship Today. It is really good to be with you. Thanks for joining us on this day that God has given us. This is the day the Lord has provided to, to us. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. I'm Jim, and I serve as a pastor and our host for our experience today. If you're a guest with us, special thanks. We really appreciate you being here. We have a gift for you. Check in with us, and we'll send you a Starbucks digital gift card right out to you. Enjoy some brew on us. Today we're excited, really looking forward to week three. We're continuing the series, The Spirit Filled Life, as we're exploring the scripture together and really looking at how life with and in the spirit, life with God, is both a beautiful and good life through all of our challenges, and yet it is a very practical life. And so Pastor Spencer will lead us through the scripture, and again, uh, giving us really a everyday, uh, practical ways to apply the Scripture into our lives. So we look forward to this. God has a message for us all. And if you'd like to go deeper into the uh, sermon, we have a link, schwitzer.church/next, and we have sermon discussion questions and so much more there. So check that out. You'll be glad you did. And now, as we do every week, let's check in with Stephanie to see what's going on here at Schweitzer.
1: Hey, I'm Stephanie if you are looking for some ways to get connected here at Schweitzer next weekend We have a couple of great opportunities The first is a men's hike on Saturday March 26th at 8 a.m The guys will meet for a simple breakfast and then we'll travel together to Busick State Park for a morning of exploring You can find out more and sign up online at Schweitzer.church men Another great way to get to know Schweitzer more and all of the things that we do around here is by attending our all-in lunch next Sunday after the second service. You can find out more about that and sign up online at Schweitzer.Church slash next or talk with Sheila today in the lobby. It's hard to believe, but Easter is less than a month away and on April 17th, we'll be celebrating big. We'll have two services here on campus, one at 9 a.m., which will be a traditional service, and modern worship at 11 a.m. Plus at 1015, we're gonna have an egg hunt for the kids and much more. During Holy Week, we'll have a communion service for Maundy Thursday on Thursday, April 14th at 6 p.m. And then on Friday and Saturday, we'll have our interactive Stations of the Cross experience. You can find out more about all things Easter at schweitzer.church slash Easter. Coming up in April, we are hosting group night each Wednesday night from 630 to 8 p.m. If you are looking to get connected to a small group, this is a great next step for you. You can find out more at schweitzer.church slash groups, or you can visit the groups team in the lobby today. Also, at the end of April, our Schweitzer creative team will be participating in Sato 48, a 48 hour film festival that we've participated in for many years. If you are someone who enjoys movies, music, art, acting, or just generally being creative in any way, we would love to have you be a part of our team this year. We'll have an informational meeting on Thursday, March 31st at 6 p.m. If you have any questions, you can contact Jen Brown and you can find out more at Sado. Whew, That was a lot of stuff. We are so glad that you are here this morning. Let's continue with worship.
0: Thanks so much, Stephanie. You're the best, we so appreciate you. If you're worshiping with us live today, we invite you to engage. There's a chat feature on your screen. Go ahead and access that, and then tell us what you're thinking today. Say hello to your friends. We'd really love to hear from you, so chat away. Also, if you'd like to receive prayer, we have a prayer button on your screen. We have people available to pray with you, so please, if you'd like to receive prayer, it'd be our privilege to pray with you. And now, on this day, this day that God has given us, this is our opportunity to worship God, to enjoy God, to give our whole selves to God, to enjoy each other and so let's celebrate the gift of worship. Let's celebrate. This week as we join together in our life together and especially in our praying which we thank God for this gift of relationship and conversation and listening and hearing what God has for us this week as we explore the Scripture and Pastor Spencer will lead us again spirit-filled life it is the metaphor the analogy Jesus uses as Jesus is the vine and we are the branches in other words Jesus is our source in life And by being the vine, Jesus feeds us in every good way. Uh, That this life is the abundant life that Jesus promises for us. Also, and using that that analogy, Jesus can remove from us, just like a plant, uh, things that are not healthy, things that distract us, things that uh, uh, keep us from growing in our faith uh, with God, growing in our relationship. Jesus can remove those as well. So as we pray together, Let's be encouraged and challenged, and the words uh, will be on your screen. So again, this is a prayer in abiding. In other words, Jesus says, "Abide in me, and I will abide in you." Abiding—that is really doing life with God, seeking to go deep in our relationship with God. So let's do together. Let's do that together in prayer. So let's pray together. Holy God and kind, kind Father. We thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray to abide in you, Lord. We pray you fill us with your Spirit, lead and guide us in all of life. We seek to have our lives reflect you, your kindness, grace, mercy, and unending love. We are thankful we draw our life in yours and a deep and intimate relationship with you. Remove, Lord, all that keeps us from life with you, in you. Sustain us with simple obedience, deepening trust and growing faith. We pray to abide in you, Jesus, living in you, continuing and remaining with you. Dwell in us, Lord, now and always. Abide in us as we pray to abide in you. You, Lord, our our wellspring of life, our source and sure foundation. With grateful hearts we pray, amen. Thank you, Lord, for inviting us into your life that you are willing to be our source in everything, to sustain us through all that this life uh, gives us and throws at us. Lord, you are ever-present. You are an ever-present help in all times. And Lord, we, we open ourselves to you. Uh, we confess sometimes we, we shut ourselves off. We, uh, we do neglect and we, uh, we just lose our way, but today we really seek and really open ourselves again to your invitation to do life with you. God, you are so good. Uh, we love you and we praise you. And now we pray the prayer you taught us and we say it with uh, great humility, knowing who we are and who you are, Lord, but also with confidence because we trust you. So help us. and the glory forever, amen. As we come to this time of offering, we thank God for God's generosity. God is generosity, that is God's character and God gives and gives and gives, provides for us in so many ways, tangibly and intangibly. It's our privilege to give back to God out of all, again, that God gives and does for us. Our tithes, our offerings, our gifts, they make a real difference as God blesses and magnifies our gifts as we give with trust, faith, and obedience. And so, your gifts here at the church, here at the the Schweizer campus, and in our community, they impact so many lives, so many generations. Today, we're really excited to tell you about what's going on in the kids' ministry and all the uh, all the really good uh, good work and excitement. The, uh, the the kids the kids so many kids and uh, the ministry is just really blowing up, and so we're so excited about it. And so right now, we're going to hear from Stephanie, our Director of Kids Ministry. Let's watch.
2: Hey, everyone, I'm Stephanie Taylor, the Director of Kids Ministry here at Schweitzer, and I'm here to tell you what's been going on with kids worship on Sunday mornings. Recently, we have seen a large number of families returning to church for in-person services. This means that we are also seeing a huge increase in the number of kids attending kids worship. These numbers have more than doubled since this time last year. And while we love to see that kind of growth, unfortunately, we've also had to turn some families away. That's because we don't have enough adult volunteers. Kids ministry is such an amazing and rewarding area to serve. If you have a heart for children and a desire to pour into the next generation, I invite you to consider helping us out, even if it's just once a month. And parents, you know who you are. This is a great opportunity for you to come alongside your child in their faith journey and see them make those connections between scripture and everyday life. If you're interested in serving in kids ministry here on Sunday mornings, please contact me directly and I'll get you plugged in. It's your time and service that help make ministries like this possible.
0: Thanks so much, Stephanie, for your leading and directing in the kids' ministry. That is so inspiring, so gratifying to see how God is working through the kids and families here at Schweitzer. And I have to tell you, I really, really encourage you to jump into this opportunity to serve and connect. Roxanne and I served in this ministry 25 years ago, for years, and it not only changed our lives, blessed us in so many ways, we know so many of those kids now and those families and have watched them grow in their faith and, and serve and love their community. So again, uh, please jump in. You'll be really glad you did. And all of us, we can continue to give uh, each week here at Schweitzer by going to the link schweitzer.church slash give. So thanks so much for doing that. Again, God blesses our gifts, magnifies our gifts, and it surely pleases God when we are generous. And now, let's, uh, let's uh, get ready to watch, to lean in to the, it's the third week of the series Spirit-Filled Life as Pastor Spencer leads us in the message. Let's watch. <music>
3: friends, welcome today. My name is Spencer. I'm so glad that you've joined us today. This is part three of our series called The Spirit-Filled Life, where we're spending six weeks exploring the promise of the Holy Spirit. And and our goal in the series is to be really practical. I want to give us some tools to use that we can live in the power, the presence, uh, the promise of the Holy Spirit, because this isn't just about what we know about the Holy Spirit. It's about how we live. That's what we call the Spirit-Filled Life. It's about how we live in in this promise of what it is the Lord has for us in the Holy Spirit. So uh, as we go through this series, we're we're being guided by a teaching from Jesus. It's uh, John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17, four chapters. And we're reading through every word of these. So line by line, just going through every word as we learn from Jesus. And, and he, Jesus is teaching at length here, really about the Holy Spirit. Um, this, this teaching, it comes right on the heels of the Last Supper and right before Jesus' arrest, his crucifixion, his resurrection. So you can, you can imagine the scene. This is right after the Last Supper, right after the bread and the wine and the, and the foot washing and those things that happened at the Last Supper. You can imagine them sitting around the table and Jesus starts to talk about what's going to happen next. And as he does so, he talks about and teaches about the promise of the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to pick up right where we left off last week. We're only going to go through eight verses, John 15, verses one through eight. But these are so rich and so full as we go through this teaching today. Um, so let's pick up right where we left off, John 15, verse one. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And of course, Jesus is talking about Us, that we are the branch and he is the vine and the father's cultivating us to bear fruit. I love this. We keep going here. Verse three, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. And if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now, I know you're smart people. And as you heard this today, you read through John chapter 15, you might've thought to yourself, you know, this is a series about the Holy Spirit. And not one time in these eight verses did we read anything about the Holy Spirit. And so you might be thinking to yourself, this preacher's trying to pull a fast one. He said, we're talking about one thing. And now we're talking about something else, except that the, the underlying assumption here from John 15, one through eight is, is about the Holy Spirit. You don't read those two words ex- explicitly like Holy Spirit, but the underlying assumption is all about the Holy Spirit. I mean, think about this. Eight times in these eight verses, Jesus used a, a word very specifically. Used a word just repetitively, used over and over and over again, eight times. I don't know if you caught it or not, but it was the word "remain." And anytime you're reading the Bible and you come across a, a word that's repeated like that, pay attention because it's so important. He used this word "remain." Remain in me, and I'll remain in you. Just said it over and over and over again. And different translations of the Bible will we'll use different words here. Some translations of the Bible won't use the word "remain," but will say instead maybe "live" or uh, "dwell." or maybe abide, and personally, I think those words are actually more helpful than the word remain, because I don't know about you, but when I hear the word remain, I, I get the sense of maybe like uh, perseverance, or, or like stick to it, or don't give up. That's kind of what remain means to me, and certainly, I think Jesus is talking about that, but I think he's also talking about more than that. I think he's talking about the, the relationship that we have with him, that we are a, a branch as He is the vine, that we receive from Him, that we live in Him, that we make our home in Him, that we dwell in Him. And so I think He's talking about more than just, you know, don't give up. I think He's talking about how we live in Him, this relationship that we have in Him, This, this, His presence fills our life as we're called to, to live in Him, which is so, so helpful because so many of us miss this. And anyway, mean, what Jesus is teaching us here is that our life in Christ, it's about this relationship that we have with him, that, that we receive what he gives us, that our life is found in him, and that, and that this is what our life in Christ is like. But so many times, there's so many of us who we begin to think that the Christian life is about other things. Like we begin to think that the Christian life is maybe about, is about doctrine, like what we think, and doctrine's really important, but that's not really what the Christian life is about. Or maybe the Christian life is about what we do. It's about our behavior. It's about our religious life. It's about things like going to church, which of course is important, but that's not what the Christian life is really about. What the Christian life is really about, our life in Christ is really about, is that we would be found in Him, that we would live, dwell, abide, remain in Him, that the very presence of God would come and fill our lives. Now, when I say that, that phrase, the presence of God, I don't mean that in a, in a general sense, like, you know how God is everywhere. Then the Psalms we read this line that where can I flee from your presence, right? Because God is is everywhere. When I when I say the presence of God, I, I'm thinking about those times in the Bible where you see the very specific presence of God in these powerful ways, like like maybe in the temple where the curtain of the temple is torn in two and Jesus is, is crucified when he dies for us, that the presence of God is available to, to everybody. Or maybe I think about Moses on Mount Sinai when he meets face to face with God and God gives him the law. Or, or I think about the vision that Isaiah has when he sees the throne room of God and, and like this is the presence of God in a whole different category. And yet this is what's available to, to us as we live Dwell, abide, remain in Christ. This is what's for us. And of course, this is what we see in the Bible too. This is the biblical teaching. I think about places like uh, 1 Corinthians 6, which teach this. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6 says, Do you not know that your bodies, your life, you yourself are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So to say that you are a temple is, is to say that you are the place where God dwells. Because in the first century here, the temple, this is where you went to be with God, to meet with God. God was thought to, to live in the temple, to dwell in the temple, the holy of holies. And, and now Paul's like, no, 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 no. In Christ, you are the temple. You are the place where God dwells. When I think about the, the truth, my, one of my favorite verses, Romans 8, verse 11, the truth is in this, I mean, listen to this verse. This is so staggering. Um, Paul writes this, he says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. I just got to read that again because it's so powerful. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His spirit who lives in you. So John 15, one through eight, yeah, you're right. We don't read the words Holy Spirit, but instead we have this underlying assumption that we are called, we are invited to live in the presence of God. That we are called to receive from the presence of God. That we are called to dwell in the presence of God. That we are called to live in this way. That our life in Christ is to be connected to the power, the presence, uh, the, the very goodness and, and, and person of who God is. And as you think about the, the implications of what that means, oh my goodness, it's staggering. It's staggering. The great uh, writer, preacher, A.W. Tozer, he he writes about this, and he he talks about the implications of what this means. I just want to read this to you because I think it's so incredible, but he he takes this idea that the Spirit lives in us. We live in the presence of God. He just takes us to his logical conclusion, and listen to how he describes this. He says, he, that is the Holy Spirit, is indivisible from the Father and the Son. Trinitarian theology, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, So the Spirit is indivisible from the Father, Son. He's not a lesser guy. He's not a different version of God. He is God himself. Goes on and says, so that if you were to suddenly be transferred to heaven itself, you wouldn't be any closer to God than you are now. Oh my goodness. For God is already here. He says, changing your geographical location would not bring you any nearer to God. Nor God any near to you, because the indivisible Trinity is present. And all that the Son is, the Holy Ghost is. And all that the Father is, the Holy Ghost is. And the Holy Ghost is in His church. So let that sit with you for just a second. The very presence of God, it fills our lives now. So Jesus says, remain in me, live in me, abide in me, let my life Fill you like a branch is connected to the vine. Be connected to Jesus. This is is what he says. This is what he offers us. This is what he gives us. This invitation to to dwell, to live in him. And when you do that, there will be a natural outcome. And the natural outcome is very simply this. That you will bear fruit. Or to say it differently, in our church we say it like this that our lives will be transformed. Our lives will be changed. Sometimes in church, we use the word sanctification. We will, we will be changed. We will be made holy. We will live different kinds of lives. We, we, will, we will have victory over sin. This is what, what is offered to us, that, that we will bear fruit. And I, I know so many Christians who want this in their life. I know so many Christians who, who want to overcome temptation. They, they want to to live free of fear. They want to have healthy relationships, whole relationships, healed relationships. They, they, they want to be focused on Christ instead of drifting and distracted by other things. They, they want to live a life that pleases God, first and foremost, instead of being worried about what everyone else thinks about them. Like I know so many Christians who want this, to bear fruit, to have their life changed, to be transformed. I know so many Christians who want this, but yet have like no idea how to get it. This is the invitation that we bear fruit and, and really the way that we bear fruit, the way that we experience this life change, like the strategy that Jesus gives us for your life to be changed. Listen, it is really, really, really simple. It's just this, remain in him, live in him, abide, dwell in him, be connected to Jesus. And when you are, the natural outcome is gonna be that your life changes. Let's flesh this out a little bit more and let's go to another place in the Bible, another teaching in the Bible that's that's very similar to this, but I think helps flesh out the, the truth of this strategy of how God changes us when we are connected to him. So let's go to Galatians chapter 5, which, which really unpacks this a whole lot more. And in Galatians 5, let let's just as you're turning there, let me give you a little history here, a little, little background here. This is a letter that was written uh, by Paul to some, to some Christians who totally missed this point that Jesus just made about living in him. Like these are these are people who that point that Jesus made just went right over their head. So instead of them focusing on being connected to Christ and living in the presence of God and letting this come into their lives, instead, what they're doing is uh they have embraced a lot of rules. Uh, we call this legalism, that, that instead of living for a relationship with Christ, they're really basing everything that they have right now on the rules. And so Paul writes this letter about how rules don't really grow you and instead you need to be connected to Christ. And at the end of this letter, this is what he writes. Um, This is Galatians chapter five. I'm gonna start in verse one. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. The yoke of slavery here is legalism. It is the, um, the turning towards rules in order to try to grow in your life. And so if you live with legalism as the strategy for your Christian growth, Paul says that's a yoke of slavery. He goes on here, verse two. He says, mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. And again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law And you who are trying to be justified by the law, you have been, listen to this, alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now, Paul starts this out. And and, and he talks about a very specific uh, concern that they have. And he uses some harsh language here. I mean, he talks about being alienated from Christ. Uh, He talks about being a yoke of slavery. He talks about Christ being of no value to you when you embrace this legalism. And for these Christians, this legalism was very specific. It was an Old Testament law about circumcision. But legalism comes in all kinds of shapes and forms. And I'm I'm sure that you've seen it and I've seen it too. We've all kind of lived in, in different forms of, of legalism where rules become the most important thing in our faith. And, and certainly we've all we've all lived this. And I'm sure we could pass a microphone around on a Sunday morning and tell different stories of legalism that have nothing to do with circumcision, but just different ways that you know we've experienced this and, and seen it and lived through it. And, and it's a common, common, common struggle, legalism, where we start to put the rules above anything else, and that becomes becomes our guidelines. In fact, in some ways, I think legalism is, is maybe a, a, a natural gravity that just about every Christian is going to struggle with at some point in their life. Like there's a natural gravity, I think, that all of us have where we're drawn towards legalism in some ways. And I think maybe we're drawn towards it because in some ways legalism is, uh, is really attractive because it's easy to understand. I mean, this is what we see in the world all the time. I mean, if you want to get ahead in life, what do you do? You work harder. That's what you do. And this is a message that you have heard from the day you were born. If you want to get ahead in life, work harder. Work harder at school, work harder at work, work harder in relationships, work harder. That's how you get ahead in life. And so, and so legalism, this kind of, um, this kind of mentality sometimes gets adopted to, to Christians where we start to just think to ourselves, we just need to work harder. And, and this is what, uh, what we're going to end up with. This is what's going to grow us. Uh, The great author, Dallas Willard, he he describes this kind of thinking. He describes it as this, that a lot of Christians have adopted the gospel of sin management. I love that phrase. It's so accurate. The gospel of sin management. This is the idea that the thing that God is most concerned about in our lives is our sin. The thing he's most concerned about in our lives are the bad things that we do. And so the point of the gospel, therefore, is to help us sin less. This is legalism. And so we think to ourselves that what God really wants for us is just to start to sin less. And if I could sin less, then I'm being a good Christian. And so you hear people talk about being a good Christian. Well, usually when people talk about being a good Christian, they're talking about, you know, outward behaviors that, uh, that take place that we struggle with and we try to overcome. And good Christians, therefore, you know, don't do certain things and they do other things. They don't listen to certain music. They don't say certain words, whatever it might be. Legalism comes in all kinds of shapes and forms. But this is, the thinking that starts to invade our, our our thoughts, and we're we're kind of drawn there because sometimes legalism is is just a it's a natural way to think that that we just, we work harder in life than than we're going to end up growing in our faith. And Paul would say that when you apply that kind of work harder mentality to your faith, then you are now alienated from Christ because that doesn't work. Legalism is not the gospel. The gospel is not rules. The gospel is not, what do we have to do in order to grow? That is not the gospel. In fact, I'd say there's at least, and there's probably more than this, but at least three main problems with legalism. Uh, One main problem with legalism is that, is that legalism is all about us. So when you make your faith all about rules and what it is that you have to do, you always end up making it about yourself. But the gospel is not about us. The gospel is not about you. The gospel is about Jesus. And it's about what Jesus has done once and for all not what have you done in order to be blessed by God or earn God's favor or to, to be a good Christian. It's all about what Jesus has done once and for all. That's one problem with legalism. Another problem with legalism is that legalism is the exact opposite of grace. Right? Grace is that there's this free gift that is offered to you. And it's offered to you because no other reason that God just simply loves you. So he gave you his only son. And the thing is that as you grow in Christ and grow as a Christian, you never outgrow grace. There's never a point in your life where you are beyond grace because you've outgrown this. No, 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 no. Every step of the Christian journey is an act of grace, God's grace given to us. And the third problem with legalism is that legalism can't actually change your life. It focuses on the outward behaviors, but that's not where sin really resides. Sin resides deeply within us. It shows up in our outward behaviors, but it really originates in our hearts. This is why Jesus, when he talks about sin, he talks about the heart. He talks about um, adultery, he talks about lust, he talks about murder, he talks about anger, he talks about, he talks about the heart because this is where sin actually comes from. And legalism is all about the outward behavior and trying to create rules that, that, that modify the outward behavior and therefore can't actually change your life because it's not addressing the root cause. But there's an alternative. So go back to Galatians 5 and we'll see the alternative here. Uh, Galatians 5, this is verse 13. Paul says this. He says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. right? Not Not yoked in slavery to legalism, but called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be devoured by each other. So I say, listen to this next phrase here, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other. So you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual morality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, Selfish ambition, dissensions, uh, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like, you could add on to that list. And I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then comes verse 22, so important. Verse 22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance. I learned that as patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things, there is no law. In other words, against such things, there is no law because there is no law, there is no rule that can create love, that can create joy, that can create peace or patience or kindness. Rules modify the outward life. But what happens to the Holy Spirit is that the inner life is changed so that on the inside, we become more loving. On the inside, we grow in, in peace and patience and kindness and goodness. On the inside, this transformation starts to take place. So how does your life change? How do you experience transformation? How do you get victory over sin? How do you live a life that honors and glorifies God? Really, really simple. You develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit. As Jesus says, you remain in Him. Uh, John fifteen five says like this, "'I am the vine, you are the branches, If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. If you remain in Jesus, you will bear fruit. Your life will change. When you are connected to Jesus, your life will change. And it's not gonna be just on the outside, that changes, but on the inside you change. That you'll develop love on the inside for those who you disagree with and those who upset you and those you don't like. You'll actually start to love them. You'll have patience when, when life isn't moving fast enough. You'll have joy when life is difficult. This will be things that reside on the inside because you have been connected to the Lord. And as you're connected to the Lord, as you develop that relationship with Him, the natural outcome is that you bear fruit. And that's the natural outcome because you are starting to reflect the one that you have bound your life to. C.S. Lewis describes this outcome like this. I love this quote. He says, if you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you're going to be wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. If you want your life to change, here it is really, really simple. Spend time with the Lord. If you want your life to change, be connected to Christ. If you want your life to change, make the relationship with the Lord the top priority of your life because the natural outcome, the natural outcome will be that your life changes. Now, we shouldn't be measuring this, you know, change in, in quickly, uh, like days or weeks or months, but in years and, and even maybe decades, our lives will begin to, to be shaped and molded into the image that God has for us so that over a long period of time, maybe over a year or more, we start to ask ourselves, are we becoming more loving today than we were a year ago or five years ago or maybe even longer than that? Are we becoming more patient or becoming more kind? Because these are the changes that start to take place, you know, on the inside when we are connected to Christ. And so what I found is it's a slow process that that begins to work in us as we develop this relationship with him. So how do we do that? Like, what does this look like in real life? We're gonna get practical here. What does this look like in real life? How do you dwell in Christ and be connected to him and have a relationship with him? And and so for me, as I think about this, this is not rocket science, but I I can't help but think about this and not think about um, my marriage. So if you're single, I apologize for this metaphor, but this is how I think about this. And so I can't help but think about this um, through the lens of my marriage. Um, Abby and I have been married for 20 years. Actually, I'm exaggerating just one year. It's actually 19 this year, but I'm gonna round up to 20. And I know that some of you hear that, you're like, 20 years, you know, that's nothing. You know, some of you have been married for 30 years or 40 years, 50 years. I know there's a couple in our church about to be married for 70 years. It's incredible. But for me, I, I think about being married for 20 years and I know my wife so much better today than I did 20 years ago. And yet, our marriage is still work. Like it still takes work. We're in the stage of life right now that I, I often compare to being an Uber driver where almost every evening it feels like we're going off somewhere where I got to take our kids to some activity or do something where we're just like hustling kids around town to get to this or that. And it just feels like I'm an Uber driver to for my kids. And so sometimes at the end of the night, it's like, oh my goodness, I hardly talked to anybody. It just kind of went through uh, everything. It just went really fast. That's kind of what life is like sometimes. And so my wife and I have we've been paying attention to this. Like it's really easy in our marriage to to hit autopilot and you just kind of start going on your own and you just start kind of hitting that wh- however it is because you're just... You stretch thin and this is what the stage of life is. And what we've learned is that as you get on autopilot, my goodness, so many things struggle in so many other places in your life when, when that relationship is neglected. So what we've discovered, what I've discovered, is that our marriage does best when we really pay attention to and work towards you know, one specific thing. And that is to be connected with each other. I mean, if we can work on connecting with one another, there's so many outcomes of that that are healthier. I mean, we have a healthy relationship because our trust level goes up, our forgiveness becomes easier, we communicate better, um, our trust levels go up, uh, uh, we stop keeping score. You know what I mean by that? Where it's like, how many times have I unloaded the dishwasher versus you? And we start to keep score about who's done what. And like all of those things kind of go by the wayside when we start to really focus in on on, um, connecting with one another. Like our marriage, it takes work. But when we work on that, there is this natural outcome of health. And I can't help but think about this in terms of our relationship with the Lord. Listen, our relationship with the Lord takes work, it does. But the work is not legalism. The work is not rule keeping. The work is to connect with Him. The work is to remain in Him. The work is to be focused on Him. And when that happens, He changes our lives from the inside out. He changes our hearts, our ambitions, our thoughts, our desires. He begins to shape us and mold us when we are focused and connected on Him. And so today, as we, as we think through this, this promise that Jesus gives, this strategy that He gives for, for growth and how our lives are transformed, let's, let's take stock. And let me ask you a really simple question. How is your relationship with the Lord these days? How well are you connecting with the Lord these days? How much are you experiencing his presence? I mean, are are you spending time in the word? Are you you spending time listening to him, praying with him? Are you spending time uh, speaking with him and and turning your heart over to him? Are you spending time with him? Are you invested in him? Or, or, Or is it maybe time to take a reset? Because maybe we've wandered. Maybe we've been distracted. Maybe we've put this aside and been on autopilot and it's time to press in. It's time to lean into this relationship that He wants for us. This is what the Spirit-filled life is about. It's about knowing God, growing in Him, and living in His presence. And the natural outcome of that is going to be that we bear fruit. So as we think about this promise, as we think about this strategy, as we hear the invitation that Jesus has to live in Him, let's take stock of where are we with the Lord these days. Let's pray together. And so, Father, today, just like every other week in the series, we just want to simply start with this prayer. Come, Holy Spirit. Would you come and fill our lives that we could know you and walk with you and have our lives be changed from the inside out? For some of us, Lord, we have been on autopilot, and it's time to press into you maybe to engage again in in Bible reading, spiritual disciplines, corporate worship, serving others, God, that you want to grow us and to to lead us. And so, Lord, we wanna wanna lean towards you and and to grow that relationship with you because we know it takes work. Forgive us, Father, for the ways that we uh, neglect you, for the ways that we run our own life, for the ways that we don't think about inviting you into, into our lives because what you have called us to do is to be connected to you, to live in you and to remain in you. So, Lord, we thank you that the, you want for us is just simply relationship. Help us to grow in you. In the name of Jesus,
0: our Savior, we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody, for being in worship today. It's been an awesome day of worship. And a special thanks to Stephanie's for their, their leading in ministry and the impact they're making both in the community and here at the church. Again, thanks, Stephanie's, And as always, a special thanks to our worship team too, who bring us into the presence of God, who help us to engage with God in really uh, good and special ways. Thanks, worship team. And to Spencer for the sermon, for the message that God had for us today. We appreciate you so much. And if you know somebody else who could benefit from this encouraging message about how to live in and through the spirit, uh, and again, everyday practical way, share it on social media. We really appreciate you doing that as well. And so, as we uh, as we go from this week, we really look forward to seeing you back next week for week four of the Spirit-filled Life. Have a great week. See you next week.
4: Walk me through the fire, do what you are famous for, what you are famous for. Shut the mouths of lions, bring dry bones to life, and do what you are famous for, what you are famous for. I believe. your power All things are possible in you. God of exceedingly, God of abundantly, more than we ask or think, Lord, you will never fail. Your name is powerful, your word's unstoppable. All things are possible
5: in you. Make way through the waters, walk me through the fire, do what you are
4: famous for, you are famous for, shut the mouths of lions, bring dry balls to nothing, do what you are famous for, what you are famous for, I believe
5: over and over